And it's that that I want to speak about to you as a church, because I don't, it doesn't matter what context you're in, prayer is profoundly important for our Christian walk. And so I want to just talk about that today. If, if there was a title, it would be, What is Prayer, I suppose, for my, for my preach today. Uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Philip Yancey. I don't know if any of you have ever read any of his books before. He, um, if you haven't, there's still hope for you. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, they are, they are really good books. And I encourage you if you, if you want to, if you're searching or you're questioning around your faith, if, if there's things that you, like, like you wish you could ask that kind of hard question, he does in his books. I love that about him. And um, he wrote, he's written a book on prayer, the title of which I can't remember, but I just love how he introduced the subject. He talks about November 2002, he was in St. Petersburg in Russia, and uh, he writes that it was, it was, he had chosen the wrong time to visit the city because it was, it was under repair. They, all the buildings had scaffolding around them, and there was building rubble in the roads, and he was there with his wife for a conference, and um, it's winter, obviously. It's, the sun only kind of comes up mid-morning, but he had wanted to go for a morning run, so he had set out, and he'd, he'd, he was trying to be as careful as possible because he was stepping over rubble and just watching his feet as he ran, so looking down as he's running, and uh, looking up every now and again just to see the, the signs that there might be a bit of ice on, on the road because he didn't want to kind of catch a slip and go down. And uh, as he was running, his worst fears were realized because he did fall. And uh, he describes how as he's falling, he managed to just get his head to the side like this to miss a steel rod that was sticking out but he went down hard on the ground. He says he, he felt for his face and there was blood. His, his lip was split and um, he kind of gingerly got up. He was throbbing in his, in, his, in his elbows and his knees and he set off to, to not run now, but walk back to his hotel. He'd be about a block away. He realized he had knocked his front tooth out as well. You hate it when that happens. And uh, <laughs> I've done it a few times. And uh, he went back to the spot to see if he could find the, the, his tooth, he's kind of scrambling around the dark and he can't find it, so he, he limps back to his, his hotel. He says, people are like just watching him as he goes, dripping with blood, this American in his running outfit. And uh, he, him and his wife had heard some horror stories about the hospitals in Russia at that time. I don't know what they're like today. I haven't visited there. You know, one of those where you go in and you've got flu and you come out with some serious disease or something like that. You're worse than when you went in. So they self-medicated. They took the vodka from the fridge and uh, they didn't drink it. They, they used it to clean his wounds and, you know, used the plasters to kind of bind up his split lip. And Philip Yancey said he took a bit of time. He kind of just rested. And then he felt like he needed to send a message to friends and family to be praying for him. He didn't know the extent of his injuries yet. And he had a few more days. They had to speak in a conference. And uh, so he went and found an internet cafe. 2002, there was an internet on your cell phones in those days. And so he eventually found one, and um, it was still in the days where a lot of you won't even remember this, where you connect to the internet with a telephone. Like that. Those were horrible days of being connected to the internet. And um, he said he, would, he went and found AOL, and he got on, and he would drop the line. He would get on again, and would drop the line, and he's typing out this short email, and he kind of connects for a moment and fall again, and he, he got on, and he, he, he finished his email by just saying, um, we really need your prayers. Um, be praying for us. We need your help. And then he comes online and he sends it off like this. And as he walked away from that internet cafe, still a bit wounded from his, his morning exercise, he said, I wonder, I wonder if that's what prayer is like. Sitting here in this visible world, trying to send a message to an invisible world, wondering if it's got through and wondering if it's going to have any impact 
upon us in our lives here. And the Bible is just full of encouragements for us to pray. If you, wherever you go, any book of the Bible, there's, 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 a, there's an, a command to pray or there's somebody that is praying and we read about it throughout the Old Testament, those great heroes of the faith praying. We, we read about um, the disciples praying and probably most of all we read about Jesus praying. We read the prayers of, the, of, uh, of different guys as well. Moses' prayer or Nehemiah's prayer or Peter's prayer. And uh, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, there's this, this wonderful, wonderfully high bar that gets set for us, not by the apostles, but by ordinary believers like us, just men and women who are following Christ, it says, and they devoted themselves to prayer. And so prayer is such an important part of the Christian life. And in fact, it's, I think it's actually an important part of life. Even unbelievers reach out in prayer, don't they? Even people that aren't the followers of Christ or followers of other religion pray. There's times of desperation when people that have got no belief at all in a, in a higher power kind of pray. It's like they're in danger now. The, the situation's bigger than them, and they reach out in the hope that there's someone or something bigger than their situation that they can grab a hold of and that can help them. Those are those moments when we make those negotiations, those deals. God, if you're there, and if you help me now, I will dot, 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 and whatever you ask, my firstborn children, my first Ferrari, or whatever it is, we offer it to the Lord. And uh, I think most people don't even come close to keeping those deals. It's such a, an instinctive part of humanity that we pray. It's natural, I think, for Christians to pray. And yet it's not something that's automatic. My, my sense is that for most Christians, it's one of, one of the areas where we struggle the most with in our lives. I, uh, there was an online survey that, um, that they did with more, there were more than 600 people that responded to it. And, and of those, only 23 said they were satisfied with the amount of time they spent in prayer. And the truth is, obviously, we can always pray more. If you pray 10 minutes a day, you can pray 20. And if you pray two hours a day, you can pray four. And there probably is somebody praying that kind of number. It's, it's not about the amount. Of, it's, it's a sense to which prayer is something that uh, you, are, you have a sense of confidence about um, its role in your own life. And um, Linda shared a story with me a little while back about how we had, a, we had a prayer meeting in the life of our church and one of our eldest daughters, her name's Hannah Nell, she was probably about three or four at the time. And I asked everyone, if you would just go find somebody and pray God's blessing on them. And uh, the, Hannah Nell, three or four, goes across to Linda and says to Linda, can I pray for you, Linda? And she puts her hands on Linda and she begins to pray. Like, <laughs> like you know, like obviously what she's seen her mom or, or her dad doing and what she's watched in the community. And she just, hey, God, won't you please bless Linda? And won't you just help her? You know what I mean? It's just like one of those moments where Linda's heart was melting as she watched this. But it's, she's learned how to pray. She's learned from her parents. She's watched her parents. She's learned from the community. And even the disciples understood that prayer is something that we can learn. It's a journey that we go on as we go deeper and deeper into prayer. And they, they said, Jesus, won't you teach us how to pray? And uh, another one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of Eugene Peterson, he was asked the one day, well, how do you teach people to pray? And he said, I would say to them, be at church at nine o'clock when we gather for prayer. You see, when we come together, 
like this, when we worship or when we pray, we watch those that are on this journey with us. And maybe they've been through something we haven't been through. Maybe they've fought the, the lion or fought the bear and they've overcome and there's something in their prayer that we don't yet have in ours. And as we hear them pray, we, Eugene Peterson we says, we take what we receive in our gathered moments back into our closets with us as we begin to pray. And so prayer is something, it's a journey. It's something we grow and we learn from each other as we do it. And obviously we learn from the Word of God as well. And I want to go to a scripture in Colossians chapter 1. If you don't mind going there with me, I'm going to read from verses 9 to 12 and try and answer that question of, of Philip Yancey's, what is prayer? Is this what prayer is? The visible reaching to the invisible um, realm. Colossians 1 verses 9 to 12. And says, yeah. And so this is Paul writing um, to this church that he's never been to, which I think is quite significant. It's like, um, if I hadn't been here and Matt had come to visit me and told me about you and I felt in God to write you a letter, I'm not saying I'm an apostle of the church anyway. I'm just saying if I were to write it and uh, you imagine that kind of context now. And Paul says this. And so from the day we heard about your faith, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And I want to pick up just three things from that passage today. Number one is that prayer is intimacy. Number two is that prayer is knowledge of his will. And number three is that prayer is strength and power. And uh, let's start with intimacy. We, uh, when, when Paul writes and he says, I pray that you may have a knowledge of God, he's not talking about the fact that we might know 10 things about God. Like if somebody came to you and said, what are the attributes of God? We'd be able to go, well, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, and he's omnipresent. <laughs> See, there we are, I know about God. He's talking about, and the scripture, when it talks about knowledge, is talking about relational, experiential knowledge. And you might say, well, I, I know Rob Hudson. He's this guy from Dubai. And of course, you'd know some things about me. You'd know what I look like. You'd know where I'm living. You would know that I'm married to Linda. You wouldn't know yet that I've got three children that are amazing. But, um, but you would have, need to spend a bit of time with me to get to know me. You would, if you spend some time playing sport with me or traveling with me, then, uh, then we had this one lady come to Linda the one time and said, oh, it must be so amazing to be married to a pastor. She said, your home must be full of peace and prophecy all the time. <laughs> so that's what Linda did. She also laughed like crazy. The woman couldn't understand what she was doing. She was a very spiritual, she was evangelist actually, this lady. And so she came on a trip with me to Sri Lanka the one time. And there's nothing like traveling with people to get to know them properly, you know. She came back from the trip and she went up to Linda and she said, my dear, I'm praying for you. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's one thing to say, you know God. But what Paul's praying is that we will come to know him. The scripture, in the scripture, God reveals himself in different ways and, and we see it in the names that he gives for us to call him. When, when Moses says, you know, who shall I say sent me? I, I was thinking about this this morning. It's like when, when the God who has existed forever he doesn't need a name. It's like, like we're going to name our children so we can distinguish them. This is Bob. This is Jim. And this is Jack. Or whatever. Those aren't our kids' names. But, um, 
But we were like, what is it? But what, who do you name? I mean, how do, God doesn't need a name. He, and that's what he basically says to Moses. He says, I am. And the name Yahweh is that. He says, I'm the eternal, self-existing God. And we can, the, it was such a sacred name for the Hebrews that they would take the, the vowels out, just leave the consonants, so that you couldn't even pronounce this name. But that's a name that we can use to call out to God. And we can say, we can pray Yahweh. We can pray El Shaddai, which is this name that means the Lord God Almighty. And it's literally the mountain, the, the mountain God or the God of more than enough. I love that name. I love coming to pray to a God who's a God of more than enough. You know, when you, when you come to Him, you don't have to worry that He's going to bless you by getting His eye drop squeeze it. Like, bless me. And He gets it like this and He goes, okay, you ready? Don't miss this now. Here comes your blessing. Like this. That isn't how God blesses us. He's a God of more than enough. God, I need your grace. Well, you better be ready because here it comes, bucket loads of it for us. It's, it's like when you go to the, the, the movie house and they give you your popcorn. I just, I take the thing, I shake it, I bang it down. I say, can you fill it up again, please? I want, I want this thing pressed pressed down, shaken together and overflowing. And that's the kind of God that he is. And whether it's Elion or Adonai, as we sang today, the, the, our, our Lord and our Master, whatever the names we use, they're all, they're amazing and they're incredible ways of addressing him. But when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray, he didn't say, say this, Yahweh, blessed is your name. He, he, he said to them, say this, in the Aramaic, it's Abba, our Father, and uh, it sits, it's probably the most relationally rich title in all of those that are given to us to address God. The Father, the father thing is so profoundly important as well. I, I, there's things that, some things about the way that we are wired that I just can't comprehend. I, I can't comprehend, for example, why sex is so important. I, I, I mean, not, I mean, I love sex. I'm not sure what I'm saying. But why God seems to make more about it than I think I might make as a human being. But somehow in the economy of God, and I can give you, I mean, I know this reason and that reason. But for God, it's important. It's sacred. It's precious. And he, he, it's like he puts it in a place. And there's something about fatherhood that is so profoundly important to us. It's hardwired into us. I cannot tell you how many men and women I meet that they're dealing with issues in their life today. That when you track the string, it goes back to a relationship with their dad. I was, uh, I went down once to go watch Ethan play football, my youngest, or soccer, actually, as it's called here. My youngest, um, he's a, he just loves his, his soccer, and I, well, I've got one thing that I always tell him, don't ever play in goals, because, I mean, I'm sure your kids, if they play in goals, it's a great position, just I don't want it for, my, I want him to play proper soccer, which is out there, you know. <laughs> anyway, look, that's just my opinion, don't, don't be offended. So I arrived there, and, um, and th guess where he's in my arrival practice? He's in the goals. I, I kind of lean over, boy, what are you doing? He said, ah, the coach made me play. I'm like, ah, I'm a little bit like, off my game at that moment. And then there's this new kid playing in the team, and he's kicking. He loses the ball once, and then he gets it again. He loses it a second time, and then he makes a pass, and he misses it. I said, hey, hey, hey Ethan, who's that new boy? He said, no, his name's Josh. I said, well, tell Josh to wake up, man. I said, ah, how's he playing here? <laughs> my very pastoral gift coming out of this moment. <laughs> And then as God would have it, in his great wonder and wisdom, Josh's mother is standing right next to me. <laughs> and she did not take to my comments kindly. It was like, like this. I thought I might, be die, I might die in Dubai. She took me out. She was like going at me like this. And then this guy jumps in and tries to intervene. And, and he's like, 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 pretty much like, don't kill the guy. And it turns out that's Josh's dad. And I made, I come out. 
a whole experience. The more I try and get out of it, the worse it gets. You know? Anyway, we kind of quietly moved apart from each other like this. But as the time went on, we actually became friends. Isn't that God's way, hey? And I was sitting with this father, his name's Rob, and we were watching his son, and he says to me, you know, my son just doesn't have the killer instinct. And I wanted to say, I know, that's what I told you in the beginning. Why are you fighting with me? But he says to me, at that point, I just graciously, hmm, nodded. And so he says to me, but my dad had that. His dad was one of those men, like no matter what sport he did, he did it like he was outstanding at it. And he said, you know, and this guy was, maybe a little bit younger than me in his early 40s, he said, I, I'm st- I've, I've never been good enough for my dad. I thought, he has this man leading his family in Dubai. He's a grown man. He still has not had the affirmation from his dad. And uh, the father issue is profoundly important. And God knows that the gift we have is that even if our dad was imperfect, and even if our dad is imperfect, and even if we cannot um, completely f- kind of bring that full circle again in its healing, God our Father is able to come in and satisfy that deepest place of need in us, men and women alike. And so Jesus calls us to pray to our Father. And the beautiful thing about the gospel, and, and the gospel is a beautiful thing, is that those of us that were once outsiders have been brought in. Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, you were foreigners and aliens, and, and you, were, you were far, you were, you were on the out. But because of Christ and what he's done, you've been brought in and not just in, you've been brought in as family members. And so we literally become friends, literally sons and daughters of the Lord God Most High. And there's no hierarchy in the kingdom. There isn't like the guys that have been following Jesus for a long time and learned how to memorize the order of the 66 books of the Bible. They suddenly have access to God that somebody else doesn't have or somebody that can quote the scriptures as access to God in the way that somebody else doesn't. We're his children. My, my, my eldest son is 18. He doesn't because he's kind of whatever, done well at something, have access to me that my younger son wouldn't have access to me. All my children have complete access to me. And we as the sons and the daughters of God have access to him. And he invites us into this place of intimacy in our prayer with him. Dr. Ralph Martin says this, prayer is at root, I love this, prayer is at root simply paying attention to God. There was a time in my life where I, I backslid. I don't know what your theology on that is, but I loved the Lord, and there was a, I got to this point where I wasn't hostile to God. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't anti-God or anything like that. I just didn't care about Him. I just didn't pay any attention to Him. Days would go by, weeks would go by, and I wouldn't even think about God. But prayer is at root, paying attention to God. It's, it's acknowledging who He is and His place in my life. And um, while prayer is, gonna, is many other things, it's never less than intimacy with God. So what I've done is I've, I've begun to explore this afresh. I went and bought myself a, a speaker and a Bluetooth speaker. I connected up to my iPad here and I've got a playlist of videos on YouTube. As I've, I've gone and searched and found songs that have ministered to me and I'll just play them and I'll sing and I'll have my own times of worship with God in the morning and, um, and I will just thank Him for who is this one song that I've been listening to recently. And it's, uh, it goes, um, Father, you father me with holy love, with grace and peace. And I've just allowed that refrain to just go over me again. Father, you father me. Father, you father me with holy love and grace and peace. And I've just just allowed myself to be drawn into an intimacy with God because that's what we were created for. Paul prays that you may have a knowledge 
of God. Not of his plans that'll come, not of his power that'll come, but it starts off from this place of having a knowledge of God. And prayer is that. It's intimacy with God. Secondly, prayer is knowledge of God's will. In uh, verse 9, it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in your spiritual wisdom and understanding. William Barclay, Scottish New Testament scholar who's passed now, said this, We are trying not so much to make God listen to us as to make ourselves listen to him. We are trying not to persuade God to do what we want, but to find out what he wants us to do. It so often happens that in prayer we are really saying, Thy will be changed, when we ought to be saying, Thy will be done. The first object of prayer is not so much to speak to God as to listen to him. And I'd been working through 1 Peter, and that was, his, it was part of his commentary on 1 Peter. I was reading in the morning, and it really struck me as I read that quote. And then the same day in my readings, God took me to Ecclesiastes. And, and I mean, you don't just end up in Ecclesiastes. If you're not on a reading plan, you're going to kind of skid around that book somehow. But in my reading plan, it took me there. And in chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2 uh, from the ESV, it says this. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. And William Barclay is right. Too often we go to God and we're telling him what we need him to do rather than um, asking him what he wants to do. And the right posture, I think, in prayer is to come is a posture of listening. And it's not to say that we don't bring our lists and, the, and all the needs that we have before him. I, I pray according, I use the, the thing of the hand. I don't know if you've seen that thing before, but the, the, if this is my hand, I pray for those that are closest to me, my, for Linda and my children and, and her parents and my parents and direct family. Then I pray for those that I'm leading with a pointing finger. I pray for those that lead me for my government, including the Muslim rulers of my nation and my nation back in South Africa and those that I'm submitted to in the ministry. I pray for those that I covenant with, like I pray for Matt and Kristen, I pray for you guys as a church, and then last of all, I pray for myself. I bring those requests to God. But the posture of my prayer is less, Lord, this is what I want for my children. I go and say, Lord, I'm praying for Matt. What should I be praying? What should I be seeing? What do I need to be hearing about him? What's going on in this life that you might help me to pray? Or, or Lord, I've got, this, I've got this meeting today. Why don't you speak to me about the meeting today? This is, this is the outcome I want, but why don't you speak to me about the meeting today? And there's something in coming in that way that takes the pressure of us because I think after a while of praying lists, it becomes boring, doesn't it? I mean, going to God year after year with the lists of things we're praying for, it becomes like, it just feels like all I'm doing is, it's like one-way traffic. But if we will go in and invite him to speak into our situations, it's amazing what he does. And it shifted my thinking. I'm one of those guys that just wants to do stuff. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, you know, just naff around. I don't know what, I'll care for what word I use. I, I was preaching the one time at church, and I, I used this French word that I thought was amazing. And, yeah, exactly that. I was watching a movie the other day, and every time there was an F-bomb, that word came up. Oh, my word, what did I do, you know? And we actually have people that speak French in our church, and they came back, which is by the grace of God. But, but I, wanna, like, I want action. I was, we were playing football in, um, 
when we were in Malibu now, and the ball went over the fence like this and landed in the middle of this bush, and Matt was kind of walking around the bush like this, trying to decide whether to go in. I thought, Matt, man, what's going on? Get in that bush and get that ball. So I leapt over the fence like this, and my plan was to run and jump in with my feet first, like a real South African, grab the ball and throw it out. But Lord had different plans for me. (laughs) So I, I, I left, and as I hit the ground like this to do my jump into the bush, the, um, the ground gave away, but I sprained my ankle properly. So it means I didn't get the launch I needed, and I just went head first into this bush. And as I'm, a, as I'm about to enter in, I hear Matt saying behind my back, is anybody not allergic to poison ivy? <laughs> so my ankle's throbbing, I'm going head first, and I'm thinking, poison ivy? <laughs> Anyway, I landed in, I pretended it was my plan, I kind of swam through the bush, grabbed the ball, threw it back, there you go boys, and then hobbled my way to the stands and sat for a while and cried a bit on my own. I'm, I want to leap in, and sometimes prayer can seem so passive, I, like, like with so much to do, so much activities that are part of our lives, and when I, when I think about prayer this way, I realize it's proactive, not passive. I'm actually going to get my, 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 my instructions for the day. If I want to be most effective in this day, it's like, it's like those, those scenes in the movies where you've got the cop movies, you know, and the guys are sitting waiting for, they, they have the, the morning briefing or staff meeting. I don't know what the cops call it. If you're a cop, you can help me later. But the sergeant's standing there up front like this, and he's got his file, and everyone's kind of waiting by their desks. And he goes, okay, that's your assignment, that's your assignment. Hey, guys, be careful on the corner of 7th and whatever. There's reports of gang-related activity. If you go there, make sure you take someone with you. you you're prepared for the day. They, they don't just get up and go and do anything. But so many of us do that. We get up and we just dive straight into our day. I've started putting my, my phone out of my, away from my bed. Away, so when I get up and I have my time with the Lord, I, I, with all the willpower in the world, I don't look at it. I don't want to check my messages. I don't want to check my emails because once I start, I can't give my attention to God. I'm no longer listening. I'm, I'm, I'm doing. And uh, there's something so profound about being prepared by God for our days. There's something about spending time with Him before we end up spending time with the devil, which is sometimes what ends up in our workplace or our, our, the busyness of our days. As Christians, we're called to act, not react to situations. We, we so often find ourselves bouncing from one issue to another issue to another issue like this, and we get home and we're like, ah, oh, what a day. Like, it's like, just go to bed and wake up and hope the next day is different. But when we spend time with God and He's prepared us, we, we face a situation a little while ago, I had a, um, Lynn and I had a, a little bit of a fight, which is uh, probably the second time in our lives we've ever had a, well, maybe that week, the second time. But, I, but I'd spent some time with the Lord, and He'd spoken to me about something. Uh, so I'd, but I'd got up and got on with my dad and forgotten about it. And then we'd got into a little bit of a conflict, and I remembered, ah, the Lord's already spoken to me about this. And I went to Lynn, and I apologized, and I said, God, actually, he spoke to me about whatever it was, being gracious or being kind or something like that, and I haven't done it. I want to repent before you right now, but I'm prepared. I'm not just rolling with the day. I'm allowing the Lord to lead me through the day. How many downloads does the Lord want to give us? Life is complicated. I'm a pastor, I know, because I sit and talk to you about your lives, and I'm amazed how complex people are and, and the decisions they have to face. And at times it can feel like, like you're in a maze. Like you start your day and it's like, 
do I go left or do I go right? Or you encounter a problem and it's like, and then another problem comes and it's like, it's like walking through a maze and every door is blocked. But James 1.5, James writes and says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Friends, we get in with, with our Lord in the morning and, we, and he says, this is the knowledge of my will I want to speak to you. And he speaks to us, it's his spiritual wisdom. It's the great spiritual truths, things like grace, things like God working through all circumstances. He, he truly does as we take that spiritual wisdom and understanding and apply it to our lives. You, you encounter like this thing that happened when I sprained my ankle. I could have been all grumpy about it because I couldn't finish the game and celebrate the victory with the, the rest of the guys. Matt couldn't either because he was in the losing team. But I mean, <laughs> I mean that happens. But I'm, I'm like, I've learned to actually say, God, I, I do believe, Romans 8, 28, that you work all things for the good. I do believe it. I, I can't see it. I don't understand it. In my head, it makes no sense to me. But I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to worship you. I want to create space in my life for you to act in it. And friends, you're going to encounter stuff every single day that's going to try and knock you off. If you have spiritual wisdom and understanding, because of the time you spend with the Lord, He's going to teach you how to apply that into your everyday life. This is not pie-in-the-sky spirituality. This is like in the reality of your everyday life, practic practical spirituality. The last thing is that prayer is strength or anointing or empowering or divine intervention. Colossians 1 verse 11 says this, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And we can have all the understanding in the world, but if we don't have the power to put it into practice, then, then it's useless. And um, I spoke earlier on about the fact, well, actually, I don't know if I did mention this, but in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, there's a story about the prophets of Baal who are praying for God to come. Well, their God, Baal, to come. Elijah set up his altar over here, and the prophets of Baal have set up their altar there. And Elijah's going to pray, and what will happen as he prays is God will send down his fire and consume that altar, that offering. And that's exactly what happens. But before that happens, the prophets of Baal are calling on their God, who is no God at all, to come and take their altar. I, I tell you, they had faith. It wasn't the lack of faith that meant their prayer wasn't. They had faith. They were cunning themselves. I mean, you don't just cut yourself like you're pretending. They were like... Ball, come do this thing and cutting themselves dancing. If, if they didn't have faith, then they would be that one prophet of Baal that quietly snuck off like this. You know. <laughs> I can see the cuttings coming. I'm getting out of here, you know. And no, I mean, they were in. They believed. And the difference between us who worship the living God and those that pray in random moments of desperation or though, those that pray to other gods that are no gods at all is not our faith. It's who our faith is in. It's a fact that our faith is in the living God who's for us. And uh, it is true that at times in our prayer life, we feel like those prophets of Baal. We feel like we're praying and praying and praying and we're contending for some situation and we're just not seeing the answer come in. Maybe you're praying for a loved one to come to salvation and you've prayed for years and years and years and they haven't yet come to know the Lord in, in saving faith. Maybe you've prayed for, maybe you're praying for sickness in your body or, or breakthrough in your finances or some relational thing and, and you've prayed and you've prayed and you haven't seen the answers to your prayer come. And there's, there's a whole lot of reasons why prayers don't get answered when and, and how we want them. Sometimes it's, it's an issue in our own lives. Sometimes our motive is wrong. Sometimes we're praying for 
Lord, please, can I have that push for the glory of your name? Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like it's not for the glory of his name. It's for the glory of your name. Or um, may we pray in ignorance or, um, or an unbelief or whatever it is. And, and, and I love the, the interactive nature of prayer that as we go to God, he can speak to us. And he can say, he can ask you the question, why, do you, why are you asking for that? You know? Sometimes prayers aren't answered because um, God just is not willing to override our free will. It's no good praying for that really pretty girl in your class to fall in love with you. God is not Cupid. He's not going to make her love you. Look in the mirror, okay? <laughs> it's not happening, brother, no matter how much you pray, okay? He's not, he's not into overriding and turning, turning us uh, into robots. We also live in a, in, a, in a dark and fallen world where the enemy contends against us. That's part of the reality in terms of what we face. But all of those hindrances shouldn't hinder or deter us from coming to him in prayer. Uh, we, should, we should be all the more determined to seek his will, to understand what it is, and then to contend for his will to be done in this earth. Prayer is truly a present power to transform our situations and the world around us. And of course, we've prayed for the sick and not seen them healed, but we have also prayed for the sick and seen them healed. We've prayed for breakthrough in situations that hasn't come, but we've also prayed for breakthrough in situations and seen it has come. And Christ, when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, taught them to pray for a number of things. Pray for uh, protection, deliver me from evil. Pray for purity, lead me not into temptation. Pray for provision, give us this day our daily bread. But he also kind of put this overarching thing in place where we get to co-labor with God so that his kingdom can come that this gospel story that, that has so profoundly impacted us will profoundly impact the world we live in. And he says, pray, that, pray this, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we participate in bringing that kingdom through prayer much more than through our activities. I, I am an action man. I, I believe in action. I, I believe we, we should do things. I, I love going to the nations and building stuff and walking away almost even more than going and ministering to people and seeing like, like there's, a, there's a house left behind or an orphanage built. I, I do, I love that. But the real change, the lasting change actually comes through prayer. There's this German philosopher by the name of Helmut Thickler who says this, what an amazing quote. I just want to read it to you. He says, God is doing nothing less than offering to his praying church a part in the government of the world. The giants of history and he's thinking at that point of those men, these evil men, Hitler and Stalin. The giants of history stride across the stage under the, the delusion that they are, they are directing the drama of the world. Whereas in reality, they are only bit players permitted on stage for a moment. Real power, he says, rests in those who perceive history as God's own drama, who tap into power accessible only to those who ask and seek and knock. Prayer sets God loose. As we revolt against the world's disorder in our actions and in our prayers, refusing to resign ourselves to evil, we demonstrate that there remains in Jesus' phrase, faith on earth. And I've been a, we have been a first-hand witness of this. And we come from a country that um, institutionalized racial prejudice in a system called apartheid. It was a, it was a demonic system that was in place. It was for the vast majority of my life growing up and while I was at school, that was a system that was in place. And uh, it, had, it had profoundly suppressed the majority of people in our country based on their skin color. 
And my dad had been saying for years, from when I, I can remember conversations from when I was 10 or 11 years old, him talking about there will be bloodshed. My dad hated the system. We actually moved out. I was born in Zimbabwe because he moved out um, of the country because he, he hated the system. We came back when I was seven years old, and he, he said, he said this will end in bloodshed. He was desperate to get out of the country. He thought there would be a civil war, and, and actually that's what should have happened. After the years of oppression had been put in place, in '87, when I finished school, I went and I, I went into the townships. Um, the church took us in. It was a, an amazingly eye-opening time for us. It was still in the, in very much in apartheid time, and we heard from um, people how they'd lost friends to the, the, the what the government, the, the, the killings by the government. We'd seen children whose backs were were um, scarred from the from the whipping that had taken place, and tr truly friends. There was going to be no peaceful transition in South Africa. And I can remember in the early 90s as it was beginning to take place, when Mandela was released and there was this potential for um, free elections to be happening, I, I, was, it was a, I wasn't following the Lord as I should have been at that time. I was at a sporting event for my company on this field. And, and as I was playing this cricket with these, these colleagues of mine, I saw these literally thousands of people streaming past our fields going into the rugby stadium next to us. They, were, they would fill up that stadium as they did stadiums all around the country at that time and pray for God to be in the midst of this change. It was an unmitigated miracle what took place in South Africa. Literally, it was, and, and newspapers wrote about it all over the world. It was a miracle, but none of them ascribed it to this God who moved his hand and to the saints who moved their hand through their prayers. We gathered around, well, not me at the time, but Linda's mom and dad were a part of that. I remember greeting them as they, they went past into the stadium to pray. And God invites us into this. He invites us to, to call that power into our lives. We face, this life is a hard life. We know that's true, you know. And sometimes we, we, we know our helplessness more than in other times. And it's in those moments that God calls us to engage Him in prayer and call for His strength. Sometimes it's the strength to endure. Sometimes the thing we pray for is grace. I I'll finish with this. I, my eldest son, Matthew, who, I've got three kids, Matthew, um, Hannah, and Ethan. Um, and uh, they I mean, I love my kids ridiculously. You know, I would, I genuinely, I would have no hesitation at all in laying down my life for my children, not even in the slightest. And my oldest son, Matthew, has adopted this incredible, wonderful story of God, the way that happened. We'd been trying to have children for years, and it just never happened. And um, we have different accounts of how long that was. Linda apparently was trying before me to have children. <laughs> I thought we were still having fun, but apparently we were having children. And uh, anyway, it, it was a long time. It was a, it was a genuinely difficult journey. There were points where our faith had rock bottom because we just, we weren't getting the answer to our prayer. And in, the, in the God's wonderful, incredible wisdom, um, out of the blue, we had never put our name down on an adoption list anywhere. And in South Africa, it's incredibly difficult to adopt children. Linda gets a phone call from a lady she used to work for and says, um, I've had this couple come into my office. I've got lists of clients that want to adopt children, but I felt God say your names. Would you consider adopting? And he wasn't born yet. He was still in her womb. I, um, I thought, now nah, this is not good. This is God's second prize for us to stick with the first prize, you know, arrogance. And... Um, and God spoke to me as I prayed about it. That's the wonderful thing about prayer. I got changed in mind. He took me to Psalm 2-7, which says, Today I've become your father. Today you've become my son. And I, I mean, what could we do? An amazing story. That we, we, so Matthew, 
has become our son from, from the day he was born. We, we took him, and um, we're still in contact with his birth parents. We have a great relationship with them. And, um, and Matthew knows he's adopted. He always knows. He's, and then one day when Matthew, I can't remember what age, about 11 or 12, he, he, uh, he met, we met with his birth mom, and his, he, they ended up getting married, his birth mom and dad, and had two more children. So he's got two full brothers. And we, um, it was, it was, for us, it was a wonderful moment. Our hearts are so free on this. Honestly, we don't feel like we're competing for his love or anything. But we didn't realize the impact it was taking upon him because he has got these brothers. And when he, we left, the one brother was old enough to know who he was in relation to him. And so he cried when we took Matthew. You know, he was now about a 10 or 11. We were going on holiday somewhere. And wow, for the next week, Matthew was, a, was, a, was um, trying to think of the right word again. He was what? Grumpy. He was more than grumpy. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was rude and rebellious. He was horrible to his brother and sister. He was rude to his mother. And I was like, um, so the one, eventually, we'd been about a week, I had enough. I said, I said boy, go to the bathroom. In our house, discipline takes place in biblical ways, which is um, off to the bathroom. We're going to have a chat, and there may be some more than chatting going on in the bathroom. And I got into the bathroom, and I said, boy, what is going on? on with you. This is not who you are. Why are you being like this? And he said, I have to hold it together a little bit. Yeah, he says, Dad, I'm so, I'm, Dad, I'm so sad. And I said, well, boy, we'll deal with that in a moment. First, I want to deal with this rudeness and this unkindness. If that happens again, and I lay down the law, and I said, I said okay, now let's talk about this. And he shared his, his and we spoke about it, and I, and I talked him through the whole process and I said to him, you know, boy, I wish you weren't adopted. With everything in my heart, I wish you, and I wish you were my blood. I said, but this is your story, and you've got to find grace for your story. I said, I can't. I said, I'll be with you every step of the way, and I will, um, your mom and I, like, anytime you need anything, we're here, but what we can't give you is the grace to get through your story. And friends, sometimes we go through things where it's, it's your story. Do you know what I mean? It's, the, it's not the easy prayer like, God, why can't Matthew just be this? He can't. It's the story. You know, that's the story he goes through. But he can find grace. We were playing. We went off to play golf the next day. And like this little moment I'll never forget. I kind of teed off the great drive, obviously down the center, you know, 400 yards or whatever. <laughs> And Matthew was, uh, Matthew had hit off and we were walking up to him and he said, Dad, thanks for the talk yesterday. Really helped a lot. And friends, I don't know what you're going through right now. And sometimes the power of God is not the, 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 the changing of the circumstance, but the grace to endure the circumstance that you're in. I, I believe God for the changing. I really do. I'm, I believe God can do anything. I honestly do. But sometimes in his wisdom and his wonder, the answer is more strength, more grace, more patience, more endurance, that somehow in ways that we'll only know when we get there one day is, is expressed to the glory of his wonderful name.